Samuel chapter 17. And uh, as you're turning there, we're going to enter right back into the valley of Elah. And uh, right back where we left off last week. I remember we talked about last Wednesday night uh, that the Israelites are on one side of the valley. Uh, the Philistines are on the other side of the valley. And uh, the Israelites were cowering uh, on their side. The Philistines were already celebrating the fact that uh, they had a giant uh, they had a champion. We saw that last week. And the devil always has a champion. We talked about the fact that uh, they were already celebrating Goliath coming out every single day, morning and evening, uh, giving this command. Remember, he started with a request. Uh, send me someone. And then he said, give me. Uh, choose. Choose someone. And then give me uh, someone that they may fight. And we talked about the fact that the devil, he's subtle and he starts with a request in our lives and uh, makes sin sounds so glamorous, so simple, so uh, so much that it's like, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, you can give in. Uh, but when we end it, remember, Satan ends with demands. Uh, you'll never be good enough. Uh, you'll never be accepted. You'll never be loved. Uh, it'll never get any better. Uh, so he starts subtle, but then he ends with demands, absolutes. And Goliath does the exact same thing. Remember the Israelites, they had their champion. Remember that guy, that guy that was taller than everyone else, bigger than everyone else, King Saul? Uh, they had their own champion, but where do we find Saul? Right in the middle of his group saying, woe is me, what's going to happen? We're all going to die, we're all going to be slaves. All of that is happening. And in an odd contrast here in the context, in verse number 12, we're transported back to David's family. Uh, it's almost like a pause in the story, uh, just like a parenthesis in the story here. And we see the author give us a glimpse of his life as a shepherd to prepare him for, or to prepare us rather, for the grand entrance. When David will arrive on the scene and he will see uh, what they were all afraid of. But as we see the passage unfold, it was what happened before the giant that prepared David for the giant. Let me say that again because it's going to resonate in just a few minutes. What happened before the giant prepared David for the giant. And in our lives, God prepares us for major battles that we walk through before they happen. And he uses that time before that battle takes place to get us ready for the battlefield. To get us ready for the giant that we will face. And we see that here in verse number 12. If you're writing notes tonight, you can write down, number one, the relationship. The relationship. Look at verse number 12, 1 Samuel 17. The Bible says, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. He had eight sons, and the man went among from men, or went among men, for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shemah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. When we're introduced to Jesse here and we get this kind of play-by-play -play where he comes from, uh, we see a very similar connection that we've seen already once before in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we see that he is an Ephrathite. He is from the tribe, the member, the clan of 
Ephraim. It's interesting because we see that same title in the very first verse of this book. In in 1 Samuel chapter 1, in verse number 1, it says, Now there was a certain man of whatever that place is called, uh, Ramoth Zoam Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephrathite. Why is that significant? Why is that important to us all the way in chapter 17? Because the last leader to defeat the Philistines was the son of an Ephrathite. Remember, Saul is that guy in the middle. Uh, We see Samuel's father, an Ephrathite. And we see Jesse, the father of David, an Ephrathite. Remember, we see very clearly in the preceding chapters to where we are tonight that Saul battled the Philistines all of his life. They never went away. They were always right around that corner. But in Samuel's time, as the leader, they were defeated. They were conquered. They laid low. They stayed away. They stayed at bay during that time. And it signified, this Ephrathite signified the region and the city that they were near. That Ephraim, that tribe, the city is Bethlehem. We see that in verse number 12. Which is interesting because the next time we see that that region mentioned is in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. Another famous son is mentioned here and it says, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, that Ephrathite, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Both of these famous sons, Samuel, uh, this next famous son, David, would be all precursors to the most famous son in Jesus. Every single one of those are precursors to Jesus. But we see that David had three brothers who were already enlisted in Saul's army. We're introduced to these men one chapter before. Remember in chapter 16, uh, we saw Eliab and Abinadab and Shema uh, when the Lord refused each of them. Remember Samuel says, oh, uh, Eliab, he's the biggest, he's the strongest, he's the tallest, he's the best looking. He's going to be the next king. And remember in chapter 16 and verse 6 and 7, God speaks to Samuel and it says, remember Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed. Hey, this has got to be the guy. And in verse number 7, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, but man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Even though David was younger, he was the one God chose. He was the one that God selected. And it teaches us a valuable lesson. We'll recap at the very end, like we did last week. But the valuable lesson is this. The least likely to be chosen is usually the one God chooses. The least likely is most often the one that gets used. And we remember when David finally shows up in the middle of the camp and he starts volunteering to all the other people. Remember, word gets back to Saul. David ends up in Saul's tent. And what does Saul say in verse number 33? The same chapter, verse 33, he says, For thou art but a youth. Hey, David, what are you going to do? You're just a kid. Uh, You're not a likely hero. Uh, This guy has been eating people like you since he was a little kid. 
and you're just a boy. Now we know that David's a teenager, but he's saying in comparison, in contrast, there is no way that you are going to be victorious. And it only verifies what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. It says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Remember, God often uses things that don't make sense to us to bring about his plan. God uses those things that don't make sense. He didn't want to use Saul. He wasn't going to use Eliab. Why? Because they would not give God the glory. There was only one man in town who was going to give God the glory. And guess what? That was the one who fought the battle. It wasn't the fact that David was the most qualified, which he wasn't. It wasn't the fact that David was the biggest and the baddest and the strongest. It was the fact that David knew whose side he was on and knew that God was bigger than any giant he would ever face. He knew that God would fight his battle. So it reminds us that we all are involved in a battle. We talked about last week, our theme for the year, the battle is the Lord's. What giant is it in our lives today that we're fighting? What giant is it in our life today that we are struggling to defeat, but we forget that it's never been our battle to begin with? It's the Lord's battle. We might be on the battlefield. We might be uh, trying to uh, fix the problem ourselves, but it's not our battle. And maybe God is trying to push us out of the way and remind us that, hey, it's not ours. Uh, we can try and fight, but will he be able to use us and will we share the glory with him if he uses us? Are we out on the battlefield trying to win so that we can make a name for ourselves? Or are we out on the battlefield trying to serve faithfully so that God gets the glory? And we see, number one, that there is a relationship with all these brothers. And then number two, we see the responsibilities that are mentioned. In verse number 15, and what I find incredible here is that David had been anointed the king after Saul. Uh, his family knows that that's going to happen. He's in the king's presence. He's his armor bearer. He's doing all of these things, learning, has all of these connections. And what does David do? He goes right back out to the sheep field. Right back out to the pasture to take care of nasty, smelly sheep. That's not us, is it? That's not us. Uh, that's like the guy who uh, gets the $35 million lottery jackpot and goes home and quits their job and starts living off their earnings. You know, hey, I, I'm going to kick my feet up. I never have to work another day of my life. And life is going to be good because I don't have any more responsibility. That was not David. David went right back out to the field. Why is that incredible? Because that is not us. We would all be cashing in. Now, we would all be saying, you know, can you imagine Jesse? Hey, hey, David. Yeah, Dad. Hey, I, I want you to go out and make sure that you feed extra, feed the sheep extra today. Imagine us being David. Hey, Dad, uh, let me remind you. Remember what happened the other day? 
Remember that Samuel came by? What did Samuel do? Do you remember what Samuel did? You remember how he took that oil and he poured it over my head and he anointed me to be king? Dad, do you remember that, Dad? Well, yes, son, I remember that, but what, I don't see what that has to do with anything. Oh, well, Dad, you should probably ask one of those guys who God refused. Remember, you should ask one of those guys, one of my older brothers, uh, because if they're not good enough to be king, surely they can be good enough to be a shepherd. That would be us. That would be us saying, hey, you somebody else. I have just got the ticket to the easy life. I don't have to do anything else again for the rest. I don't have to go out to the sheep pasture. I can stay clean the rest of my life. I don't have to get dirty. I don't have to sweat. All of that, that would be us. But that's not David. See, David had character. David saw his responsibility as just a way of life. Hey, this is what I do. Uh, This is a part of my responsibility. It says in chapter 18 and verse number 14 about David, it says, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. It, It uses that phrase in chapter 18 four times. David behaved himself wisely. He behaved himself wisely. Behaved himself wisely. When was that said about David? After he was anointed. After he fought Goliath. After they were singing the songs. Saul had slain his thousands. But David his tens of thousands. He behaved himself wisely. You think about the fact he was totally satisfied to be faithful in his current situation. Until God opened the next door. What was David anointed to be king? That's not how David looked at life. What was David giant slayer? That's not how David looked at life. You know what David saw himself as? A shepherd. Period. Now were those other things true? Absolutely. Was David on the, the track to be the next king? Yes, you bet. But David saw himself as a humble Shepherd and nothing more. Until God opens the door, I'm going to be faithful right here. Uh, Maybe God has burdened your heart about a certain calling or a certain direction in your life. And he's given you the burden, but he hasn't quite opened the door yet. He hasn't quite made that path clear for you of how it's going to work out. What are you and I supposed to do while we wait? Be faithful. You're supposed to be faithful in the calling where we are right now until God opens that next door. Uh, We're supposed to be faithful in what we know to do until God opens that next door. We all have dreams. We all have goals. We all have something big that we want to see accomplished one day. No matter if it's, I want to retire when I'm 50, or I want to retire, or I want to have a beach home, or I want to be able to say this about my kids, whatever it is. But in our life, until we get to that point, we need to be faithful where we are. Be faithful now. How about reading your Bible daily? How about serving in church or giving or sharing your story? All of those things we know to do and we can be faithful until the Lord gives us clear direction for the next thing. Uh, Hudson Taylor said this, and I love this quote. A little thing is a little thing. 
But faithfulness in the little things is a great thing. How many of us want to do big things for God? Man, I want to do something big for God. Yeah, absolutely. I want that to be me. But until the Lord allows us to accomplish the great things, the big things, we can be faithful in the little things. Until that moment comes along. Remember, David was prepared for the battle long before on the side of the mountain with sheep. On the side of the field. And we might not think that watching sheep is that big of a deal. But it was in those fields that God saw a future king. It was in that obscure, relatively simple, not important place that God cultivated the heart of the next king. You know, it was in those obscure moments that God saw something that nobody else did. How often do we, uh, let's bring it here, how often do we serve children and we think, why am I wasting my time? These are little snotty-nosed kids. They get on my nerves. They, they're not going to amount to anything. They'll be lucky if they end up uh, in not going to prison one day. Uh, you know, I, why am I wasting my time? Uh, how many times do we read our Bible and think, man, I am just not getting anything? Uh, how many times do we think our giving isn't making a difference? All of those things. But how many times have we seen kids grow up and they serve God? Uh, that, that were in our classes that we taught. And where you remember when they were this big. And now they've got kids that are this big. And they're still in church. They're still faithful. They'll, they're still serving. Now, how many times have you been talking to someone and a Bible verse comes to mind. And you think, well, I, I don't even know where that came from. And yet God knows exactly where it came from. The fact that you kept reading even when you thought you weren't getting anything and God was planting seeds along the way. Uh, How about the time when the missionary comes by and and thanks the church and says, man, it's because of your giving and faithfulness of people like you that we can do what God has called us to do. And all of those times saying, man, my giving is not doing anything. It comes full circle. And we realize that the little obscure moments, God is using them. Every single one of them. You know, nobody, uh, when I was growing up, there were three guys in, in my Sunday school class. And uh, Adam, David, and I, and uh, David's birthday's in uh, December, and mine's in February, and uh, Adam's is in August. And all three of us, uh, will, will David just turned 40, and I just turned 40, and Adam will be 40 in August. And uh, all three of us grew up in the same Sunday school class together. Uh, we had Fred Kellogg, who was an old man and who smelled funny. And uh, just just a weird person. And uh, one of those people, like, everybody has one of those people that you just kind of like, oh, man, Lord, that's just a bad part uh, of my life. But Fred Kellogg, every single Sunday, would show up in that back corner Sunday school classroom, and he would teach faithfully every single week. Uh, Billy Honey was the next Sunday school teacher, and me and Adam and David, all three of us, in that same class, uh, moving up together, all the same grade, Billy Honey would get up every single week, faithfully teach. Uh, then Mark Browning, our children's church director, who uh, faithfully taught and said, man, you need to be in the Bible, you need to memorize scripture, and, and you need to plant it deep in your heart. 
All of those guys, Jack Camp would get up in our children's church and uh, he would show those Bible flashcards and uh, he would show them and teach those stories and uh, drive in those deep spiritual truths. And at an early level, you know, those th- four guys never imagined that those three guys in that class, me and Adam and David, you know, uh, David is a captain at a local firehouse and he's worked his way up in the fire department and he and his wife, Ashley, and their kids, and they're faithfully serving in their local church. And Adam uh, married a pastor's daughter and uh, owns a CrossFit uh, local gym. And uh, it looks better than all of us. Uh, but uh, Adam and his family faithfully serving in church. And me here in pastoring a church. Those four guys had no idea when they were teaching little kids that those kids would grow up. And they would still be faithful in church. And they would be raising their families to be faithful in church. See, you have no idea. It's in those obscure moments where you think, man, what I do doesn't matter. Keep going. Keep serving. Because those little obscure moments that we think aren't mattering, aren't going to make any difference. They last. You know, I think about Fred Kellogg. He's been dead and with the Lord for years. And Mark Browning, dead with the Lord for years. All of those guys, they, some of them didn't get to see the end result. But I personally believe they know. I just believe that God has pulled back the curtain and allowed them to see. that that investment wasn't for nothing. That investment had lasting impact. See, you and I are not responsible for the final product. But we are called to be faithful with the product. You think about 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You and I, God rewards faithfulness. Now think about it. God does not, let me say this correctly. God does not rewards you primarily based on the fruit of your life. God rewards you primarily on the faithfulness of your life. Well, pastor, I've, I've never seen anybody come to Christ in my witness, but were you faithful? Oh, pastor, I've, I've never led a Sunday school class. I've never done big things for God, but were you faithful? See, God rewards and blesses faithfulness. Hey, if you're faithful, the fruit will come. If you're faithful in the little things, God will put those things together and make them great things. David was responsible, had character. He saw his responsibility and was serious about it. And then in verse number 16, we see the routine. The routine. Verse number 16, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening, presented himself 40 days. As time passes, every single day, morning and night. Uh, Time passing did not help. With each day, these men are another day away from their families, another day away from their fields, another day away from their herds, another day doing their jobs, but they're in a holding pattern all because of fear. Fear. And that's exactly what fear does. It paralyzes us and keeps us in a holding pattern. It keeps us from taking a step. 
you know, Pastor, I, I could never do that. I, I could never serve. I can't give. I can't read that much. I, I, and in contrast, because we're afraid, we do nothing. Because we are fearful. And see, God is trying to show us that a little step is still a step. A little step is still movement. Yeah, I know that I can't get from here to Zach's guitar in one step. I know it is not physically possible. You might be able to do it, but I know that I can't do it. Uh, so, but I do know that if I take one step and another step and another step and another step, that eventually I will get there. And see, God does not expect us to take giant leaps. He expects us to take a step. One step and one step. And over time, God wants to lead me to take those small steps instead of taking a big one. What happens when I take those small steps? We see his faithfulness along the way and it encourages us to keep taking steps. We see that God is doing something. God is blessing. We take a step and we say, all right, Lord, what direction do you want me to go now? Do you want me to keep going? Do you want me to take another step? And then God leads us. It's taking a step, praying, seeking the Lord, seeking that direction. And then it's taking another step, stopping, evaluating. God, what do you want me to do? We're depending and relying on him for the next step. Leonard Ravenhill said, smart men walked on the moon. Daring men walked on the ocean floor. But wise men walk with God. Wise men walk with God. Proverbs 16, verse number 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. That's how I know that I'm going in the right direction. That's how I know that God is leading my path. Psalm 37 verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. Psalm 119, 133, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. When the enemy presents himself this much, it can be discouraging. Morning and evening, every day. But while the giant is demanding, God is preparing. While the giant is threatening, God is preparing. You think about during this 40 days, something is happening that they did not even see. Where they were was 15 miles from David's house. That valley of Elah, from Bethlehem to that place, 15 miles David is getting ready to be dispatched to head there with a cart full of stuff. 15 miles. It was going to be a multi-day journey. And while they are cowering, while they have no idea what they're going to do next, God had already begun to send the answer. Stay with me here. When you look at your life and say, man, God is not doing anything. He has already dispatched the answer. He has already begun the process of the final solution. You ever think about, remember Abraham and Isaac as they went up the mountain, Mount Moriah? And Abraham said, you stay here, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and will come again to you as they were going up one side of the mountain the ram 
that would be the substitute for Isaac was going up the other side of the mountain. While Abraham and Isaac are going up one side, the answer is coming up the other side. We look at our life and say, man, God, what are you doing? And God has already dispatched the answer even when we don't see it. They had no idea David was coming. They had no idea that David was going to fight the giant. No clue. Yet God knew. Wouldn't it be wise on our behalf to simply trust God, the one who knows all things, and just rely on Him for the end result? Trust Him for what happens next? See, all of a sudden we see this routine every single day, morning and evening, 40 days. And yet God was already in the process of the answer and they didn't even know it. And that's us. God has the answer, but will we be faithful? Will we trust long enough to see it through? We see number four tonight, the request that's mentioned. Verse 17 Mentioned a minute ago, Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn. He's dispatched. Now remember, this is the role. Think of the role that's on display. David is a shepherd who's in charge of his father's sheep. He gets this request. Now, he could have said, Dad, you should ask one of my other brothers. I am the king, by the way. But he doesn't do that. Responsibilities. Uh, respect for his father. Hey, I'm not going to do that. Uh, he goes here and it says, Jesse says, I want you to go take this stuff and I want you to take their pledge. Uh, the word pledge means something to verify that David had been there. I want you to come back and bring me some news from the battle. I want you to come back. Make sure you take all the stuff to your brothers and take this stuff to the commanding officer. And I want you to bring back some kind of news from the battlefield. Remember, this was commonplace. They didn't have McDonald's along the way on the battlefield or Chick-fil-A to provide the meal. Families would have to send food to their family members. They would have to send meals to take care of their own on the battlefield. So they most likely already knew 40 days, remember? 40 days. They most likely had heard, hey, we're in kind of a stalemate position. Uh, they had heard about Goliath. There were already rumors. There was already uh, fear kind of creeping through, taking food there. And people had done just what David did. Drop the food off, hear about Goliath, see him, hear the challenge, go home, share the news. This was commonplace. He had the corn, he had the bread, he had the cheese, all of these things. But there is something going on behind the scenes. David is about to enter the battle that would define the rest of his life. And when you hear about, you think about in our world today, you hear the phrase David and Goliath. Some people don't even know it's a Bible story. But if you say David and, oh, that's David and Goliath. That we talk about it in sports. It's the underdog story. They don't even know what it means. But David is getting ready to go in the battle that would define the rest of his life. He didn't know that he was getting ready to be dropped in the place with a giant in this battle that he would forever be connected to. But the, day, the, the battle would define David's life and the future, that battlefield, was right ahead of him. 
How many times do we march through life not realizing that our life-defining battle is just ahead of us? The battle that would define the outcome of our lives is around the next corner. But do we live that way? Are we prepared for that battle? Uh, see, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, we know we have an enemy. We know that we're supposed to be prepared. We've been given the promise that there is an enemy out there for our lives. and He wants to destroy us. It says be sober, be alert, be aware, be vigilant, be ready. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And then verse number 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know what that tells me? We're not the only one in the battle of our lives. How many times do we think, man, I'm the only person that feels this way? Uh, Nobody else has ever, God, I'm all alone. Nobody ever has been through this like I have. And yet, Peter reminds us there are people all over the world who are fighting the same stuff we are. Uh, A.P. Gibbs said this, unless there is within us, That which is above us, we will soon yield to what is around us. Remember, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Unless we realize, unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to what is around us. Are you ready for that battle? That's coming. We've seen some awesome things the past few weeks. Here at Crossroads, uh, amazing services, God blessing, uh, God doing something special. We've seen uh, people make decisions that affect eternity. All of that, realize we're not the only people that see that. We're not the only people that take note of that. We have an enemy that knows it too. We have an enemy that's not happy about that. Oh, Pastor, you know, my neighbors have heard about our church and they, they have, uh, man, they're not happy. There is somebody greater than the enemy locally that's not happy about God blessing. Satan is not thrilled. And you know what he's doing? He is mounting a counterattack. And it's around the next corner. He is mounting an offensive and it's coming. I told somebody this past Sunday, I'm I'm just waiting for the storm because it's coming. And I know that the battle is the Lord's. And I know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in me. I know all that, but it's still going to come. God does not bless without Satan trying to figure out what he can do to mess up God's blessing. Satan is going to attack. He's going to attack your home. He's going to attack my home. He's going to attack your kids. He's going to attack my kids. He's going to attack your coworkers. He's going to attack my coworkers. He's going to attack the people that you love, the people that I love. It is coming, church. But are we ready for it? Are we doing anything to armor up and be ready for that attack? He is preparing that battle. And we see lastly tonight the respect that is mentioned. Look at verse 20 through 22. David rose up early in the morning. What did he do? He left the sheep with a keeper. 
and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. Verse 22, And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army, came and saluted his brethren. He was just the shepherd. He was the keeper of the sheep. What does he do? He does not leave his duties unattended. You know what he did? He woke up that morning and said, I'm going to be obedient. Not just to what dad wants me to do today. I'm going to be obedient in what dad has asked me to do every day. Keeper of the sheep. Before I leave, i got to make sure that my job's taken care of. Before I get to my brothers and I leave the cart, I've got to make sure that the guy who's with me is going to watch the stuff so that nobody steals it while I'm gone checking on my brothers. See, he gets up every day planning to be obedient. Do we do that? When we wake up tomorrow, are we planning to be obedient? When we wake up tomorrow morning and our feet hit the floor, what are we doing to be obedient that day? Because if we're not planning to be obedient, by default, we'll be disobedient. How many of you know that our kids are not obedient by accident? Our kids' default mechanism is to be angels that have halos held up by horns. Our kids' default, they are obedient by choice. And so are you. And so am I. We're obedient to our Heavenly Father by choice. If you love me, keep my commandments. That is a choice. We are not obedient by default. We are obedient by choice. And when we see David, what happened? It shows us that the character of David wasn't just something that was private. It became public. If you have ever gone to a production like Sight and Sound or some kind of Broadway production, something like that, you see the front stage, what's on display for everybody to see, and then you have the backstage. While everything's going on up front so that everybody can see, there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes. All kinds of stuff going on behind the curtain. But how well it goes behind the scenes determines what happens on stage for everybody to see. Your spiritual life and my spiritual life are the exact same way. What happens in private affects what is seen in public. Your walk with the Lord in private affects how you are as a believer in public. David chose in private, I'm going to be obedient. So what happened? When he was in public, he was still obedient. See, you can only fake a horrible backstage experience for so long. Eventually, your front stage, what everybody sees on display, will come crashing down. If your backstage is not in order, your front stage will be a mess. And it's the same way spiritually. If privately you have nothing there, eventually it will be on full display. It happens. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by spirit in the inner man. Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
the inner man. What are you and I doing to strengthen the inner man so that the inner man is on display? Galatians said, until Christ be formed in you. Why is it so important that Christ is formed in us? Why is it so important in Colossians that we're rooted and grounded, rooted and built up? Why is it so important? Because what happens on the inside works its way out. And you can only fake what's on the outside for so long. We need to reinforce what's on the inside. What is our recap for tonight? The most least, excuse me, the least likely person gets used in God's story. The little things are more important than the big things. Those little steps along the way. A series of of small steps with God are just as effective as giant leaps are with God. Uh, The battle ahead of you could define the rest of your life, just like it did with David. Uh, Most people don't think when you say David and, they don't think David and Bathsheba. David and Absalom. David and Goliath. David was defined by a battle. His entire legacy defined by a battle, which is another key point. David's life and legacy were not defined by his sin. Did you hear that? David's life and legacy were not defined by his sin. Was that a major part of his life? Absolutely. But David's legacy, New Testament, what is David known as? A man after God's own heart. After the sin. After the failure. After his kids crashed and burned. David was known for his battle. And then lastly, true servants have good character. David, leave all the stuff. Leave the sheep in the hands of a keeper. Leave the carriage in the hands of a keeper. David had good character. But here's the thing. David was a good servant. Are you a good servant? Are you someone that can be trusted with the little things? It's just bread. It's just corn. It's just some cheese. But David said, my father asked me to watch over this. Your heavenly father has asked you to be a steward and to watch over your life. Are you a good servant? Are you a faithful servant? Father, thank you so much for your word. and Lord, thank you for the life of David. Lord, thank you for the truths that David had good character. Lord, his private life was on full display. and Lord, what was seen in public was as a result of what was done in private. Lord, I ask that you would please bless us. Help us to emphasize, prioritize the private part of our life. Lord, the hidden, the inner man. Lord, the things that no one sees. Lord, the the part of our life that's not on display every single day. Help us to prioritize there so that the inner man works his way out. Lord, that that inner man is the man that you want to shine who you are. Lord, I ask that you please help us to be true servants of character. Help us to be people who can be trusted with even the smallest task so that you can receive the utmost glory. 
Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to our